BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Sharp Lessons, everybody. We're Stadium Sports Betting Podcast. Find us everywhere on social media at Stadium Bets on Twitter, and uh, you can find our videos at WatchStadium.com, where we preview some of these games, give our best bets, and everything in between. We got the Professor Nate Jacobson. I'm Ben Wittenstein. Nate, it's a Monday. Time to take a, a quick look back at the weekend. Some of our best bets as well. It was an okay weekend for us, but you know, I'm starting to think that if we want to really have a great weekend, I think we have to go just all out. Give five, six best bets this Friday and just hope the numbers land in our favor. Um, maybe you can do that, but I'm an 0 and 8 with my last uh, eight <laughs> best bets the last three weeks. So I think I'm going to try to take a methodical approach. And all right. I'm not going to uh, go all out and try to right the ship in one week because uh, it was a frustrating week. And if I took that approach this week, I would have definitely been below 500 because. A lot of bets that I I gave out lost a few won, but it would have been a, a much worse losing week than an 0 and 1 on the best bets. So um, definitely gonna play it safe, but we'll we'll get into some of the stuff from this weekend because I have some uh, I have some grievances as we've rebranded our new uh, Monday morning segment. Yeah, I like it. We've got uh, our segment of uh, grievances and lessons. We try to make sense of what we didn't like and and the lessons from that. Um, but yeah, one and one for me this weekend. L and one for you. The podcast though still above fifty percent, twenty seven and twenty five in total, fifty two percent win percentage. So we're gonna we're gonna try to keep that above the fifty percent line this weekend. I think we'll we'll try to have different strategies this week. I'll go with the uh, with the quantity, and you'll try to go with the quality, and and we'll see if both those can actually give us some above fifty percent wins. But let's take a look back at the weekend. They sweats of the week. We had a couple sweaty games um, that had us a bit worried. We'll start with that uh, ridiculous nine overtime Penn State Illinois game. And I don't even know how this would qualify as a sweat or if it's like a completely different category of a sweat. But when you go to nine overtimes, you expect the game to go over. But Penn State Illinois did not go over in nine overtimes. They remained under 45 and a half. The total for that game after going for two-point conversions for six overtimes. And what do you say, is three out of 14 two-point conversions they made? Yeah, so for anyone that doesn't know, there's a new rule in college football. After the second overtime, if it's still tied, they just do like alternating two-point conversions, almost like if it was like sudden death penalty kicks in soccer, where if one per team scores, the other team has a chance to match it, and they'll keep going if they fail then the game's over. If the team who has the first attempt doesn't get it and the team that gets on the second attempt gets it, then they win the game. So pretty simple. That's why I went nine overtimes. They weren't playing nine overtimes starting at the opponent's 25-yard line because I don't know if there'd be many healthy players left on either team as they both have uh, games this week for week nine of college football. But, yeah, there was 14 two-point conversion attempts in these overtimes, and only three of them were converted. The first 10 were failed. 
Uh, Illinois ended up pulling out on top. They were a 24-point favorite. They closed 25 in some spots. I know Penn State took a lot of the money after opening only like minus 18 or something. And, yeah, it stayed under the total. Final score, 20-18. to 18. The total in that game was in the mid-50s. I believe it was 44 because there was some yeah, weather. Was, yeah, mid-40s. Yeah, 45 and a half. Yeah, 45 and a half. Yes, 45, 45, it has to 46, but there was a lot, a lot of bad weather. It was 10-10 after regulation. I believe both teams traded field goals in the first two overtimes when they had their normal possessions, and then there was the craziness of double overtime and there are nine overtimes, and you're right, stayed under the total of 45 and a half. Pretty crazy. I guess it was a good call on the under, but if it was the traditional overtime rules like last year's rules maybe that game goes over and they score some some touchdowns that are worth six points in overtime instead of just three two-point conversions and at the very least we get to see an upset after it was just disgusting to watch 10 straight two-point conversions fail in so many different ways you had end arounds you had runs up the middle you had incomplete passes it was just every single way you could miss a two-point conversion that game had it, um, and at least you were rewarded with an Illinois upset. It was something exciting, something fun, instead of just Penn State beating Illinois in overtime. Yeah, that's a brutal loss for Penn State, too, and maybe hurts James Franklin's resume and odd chances of maybe getting a raise from Penn State when schools like LSU and UCA, USC come calling, if they'd come calling after that. But that's an embarrassing loss at home for Penn State. Now they have two losses, and we'll talk about their game at Ohio State later in the week because there's been quite a bit of line movement in that with the Penn State Nittany Lions trending down and Ohio State looking like they're hitting their stride. Bears-Buccaneers was the other sweat of the week. That was uh, under 47, and uh, I, I would imagine why people were sweating that. Yeah, so Buccaneers up 35-3 to at halftime, so 38 total points in the first half, just need 10 points or more to go over every closing total of 47. I think there was some 46 and a half. There was only three points scored in the second half. The Bears had a drive in the red zone that ended in an interception. And then late third quarter, the Buccaneers were on the goal line. It was a fourth down play at the one-yard line, and the Bears stopped them. And it was weird. I was watching the game with sound at that point, and Tony Romo said, before that fourth and one play with the Bucks up 32 late in third quarter, he proclaimed this play will determine the game. And at, at the time, I was like, what is he talking about? Like, I know Romo's very enthusiastic. He's trying to keep people engaged. So I think either he was joking or maybe he knew what the total was and he knew how big that was for anyone who had the over or the, the over. I know he's with Jim Nance, who isn't really known for the sports betting mentions like an Al Michaels or a, a Brent Musburger back in the day. But I was very confused when he said that. But it turned out to determine the, the total, at least. And the game stayed under, 38-3 to final score uh, for the Buccaneers winning that game. Only 41 points scored. So pretty bad bad luck if you had the over in Bears-Buccaneers. Let's do our grievances and lessons, the newer segment of the podcast. We air out the grievances of the weekend. We try to learn some lessons from it. Uh, the Eagles, and this was a game you had as your best bet. I bet them as that line moved down. Um, I hit their money line, which I was thinking, you know, the line's moving towards the Eagles. I'm going to try to get them before maybe they even become a favorite in this game. 
And that was the complete wrong way that that line should have moved. They, uh, they looked just terrible in that game against the Raiders, Nate. They, uh, the offense looked bad. Sirianni's defense, um, looked terrible and, and just altogether just a poorly coached game, a poorly executed game defensively. And the same problems that the Eagles have had all season long on defense or on offense, excuse me, just continue to persist. Yeah. So gave out the Eagles plus three on Friday's show. Close pick them, minus one in some places. So happy that, you know, I got the best of the number, and I'll take that all the time, especially with the Eagles. They get out to that 7 nothing lead. They get a red zone interception, looking promising. They're One of the reasons I liked them is because they were getting healthier with Lane Johnson back, the right tackle, Dallas Goddard back at tight end, and him being healthy. So I thought the offense would have some success against the Raiders, and the Eagles' pass rush would be able to cause trouble for Derek Carr. That did not play out after the 7 nothing lead for the for the Eagles as the Raiders scored, I believe it was 30 unanswered. And then yep. the Eagles maybe made the score look a little closer at the end because Jalen Hurts is the king of garbage time and padding those <laughs> fantasy stats. Is, I think he might be the worst like real-life quarterback who's like one of the best fantasy quarterbacks maybe yep. in NFL history. And I don't know how long he'll be starting for the Eagles, but if you have him in fantasy, ride him until uh, – until he gets benched, because it seems like that might be the case um, with the Eagles. So, yeah, I mean that was that was tough because I thought feeling good going in that game, especially how it started. Thought I would break the best bet drought that I haven't won one in three weeks, and uh, I'll have to wait next week as the Eagles <laughs> go down. Even though uh, got the best of it, getting plus it just means you're due. Yeah, it means I mean, you're due. things like that happen, and I would still make that bet at plus three if I knew it was close pick em. One of the reasons close pick em is because Darren Waller was a late scratch for the Raiders. We got found out Saturday that he had an ankle injury, and whenever someone appears on the – a player appears on the injury report that late in the week, it usually isn't promising, but they were able to overcome that as Derek Carr had a very impressive game. And maybe the uh, the John Gruden-less Raiders are, are better without Gruden, and – they're happy he's gone because it seems like it's the last two games. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, it might be one of those things where that's the last time we're going to see the uh, the Raiders as that short of a favorite or even like bet down to pick against teams because people were thinking without John Gruden they're going to be bad or going to be worse than they were before, and it's turned out to be the exact opposite of that for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, you also had a bone to pick with the Washington football team, and you texted me this. On Sunday, uh, they played the Packers. They looked terrible against the Packers offensively. They couldn't hold on to the football. I, I, I could see your frustration with this Washington football team, Nate. Yeah, I would say Washington actually looked decent. I, I say that they so they lost 24 to 10, but it was a very misleading final score. And I think there's the bigger takeaway is that the Packers defense can be ex- exposed because. Washington, they score a touchdown after giving up a touchdown, a long 40-yard completion from Heineke to McLaurin. After that touchdown, Washington had six more drives that went inside the Packers' 30-yard line, and they only ended up with three points. They got to the red zone three times, and they scored zero points. And this was against the Green Bay red zone defense, who has let let up a touchdown every time their opponent reached the red zone. So it was total incompetence by the, the Washington uh, once they got into the red zone, they also had a blocked field goal. They went for it on fourth down, didn't get it. It was very frustrating because I bet Washington plus eight and a half. I bet a little bit more of them at halftime because I saw that how the game was playing out. It was actually the game I was following 
on the green zone on Vison. So I was watching that game very intently. And honestly, it's one of those bets where I feel like I made a good bet. Washington should have covered that game. If a few breaks go their way, they might actually have a chance of winning that game. So that 14-point win by the Packers was very misleading. And I think the big takeaway from that is the Packers have a big Thursday night game in Arizona against the 7-0 and Cardinals. And I think we're seeing a little bit of reflection on the Packers' performance in the market. And that line for the look ahead was like sitting between Cardinals minus three and minus three and a half. And at one spot this morning, it got out to Cardinals minus four. So I think people who are betting early know that the Packers got pretty fortunate yesterday and that the Cardinals playing at home in a short week should be the side against the Packers team who has to do a little bit of travel. I think it's just one time zone to Arizona, but still far travel out to the west west coast, the desert, for a short week. So I think the Cardinals will uh, – will be the only way I could bet that game on Thursday night, a game that will preview more on Wednesday's show. And the final grievance that we have, this uh, this is yours, it seems like. Iowa State rushing the field as seven point favorites after after taking down Oklahoma State. You don't you don't like to see the students run on the field after that. No, after because you're, they've been there before? Well, you're a seven-point favorite, and you you live in a, a state in Iowa where sports betting's legal. You have to know that that's not an upset. Even though you're unranked, have two losses, and you've been an undefeated eighth-ranked team in the country, everyone knows Oklahoma State, little phony with that 6-0 and start. You have to know you cannot storm the field as a seven-point favorite when you don't cover the game. And maybe that's just sour grapes because if I did have a – a best bet in college football this week. I held off because the number didn't get to where I wanted. It would have been Iowa State minus the points, and I ended up betting more than any other game on Iowa State uh, in terms of my Saturday bet. So I was a little frustrated about that and that they didn't cover that game. And honestly, they probably didn't deserve to cover that game, and it was really a coin flip. I thought actually Oklahoma State played better than I expected. But you can't can't storm the field when you're a favorite by seven <laughs> points or more. I don't. It's Iowa State against Oklahoma State. It'd be different if it was like Oklahoma or Texas or like one of the those Big 12 teams that have stood in your way for all those years. But Oklahoma State is not at that caliber. There's a reason why the SEC is taking in Texas and Oklahoma, and not Oklahoma State. So that was <laughs> that was shameful from the Cyclones uh, student section. I saw there was a lot of people on Twitter saying the same thing. How huh? you know? How can you rush the field when you're that high of a favorite, expected to win, even though they're a top ten team? You know, I, I could see that. I guess um, never co- but, never was covering at any moment of the game either. So no, that's um, true. They they did not. I was that. looking at some potential sandwich spots, and I think Iowa State might fall into that uh, category this week. Especially the fact that they stormed the field makes me want to fade them even more. <laughs> All right, let's do opening bell. Take a look at some of these college football games, uh, some line movements quickly before we get to some of these NFL games. Um, We have, let's see, Texas Tech at Oklahoma, which opened um, at Circa on Sunday. Oklahoma laying 22, and that has been bet down in favor of Texas Tech, where the Sooners are now 17.5-point favorites, Nate. Yeah, and it's simply Oklahoma's performance against Kansas. They're down double digits to Kansas in the second half. Oklahoma's a 38-point favorite in the game. They only score 35 points, and seven of those points were in the final minute when they were trying to just run out the clock. They ended up scoring a touchdown to make a five-point deficit, a 12-point deficit. So a pretty poor showing by Oklahoma, and they're getting a, a pretty big downgrade. And the Caleb Williams honeymoon that he had 
second half against Texas and then looking very good in his first start at home against TCU. Uh, maybe pump the brakes a little bit on him and that Oklahoma's offense isn't that good. I mean, they were favored by 38 to Kansas, and they almost – there was a chance. I mean, I, I, they were at one point in live betting minus 200 when they went down 17-7. to 7. So that was not a good performance by Oklahoma, and I think the downgrades warranted – just wonder if maybe they have a little bit of a bounce back and they got the bad game out of their system, or maybe there are just some bigger flaws going on with Lincoln Riley's team. Well, like Caleb Williams' uh, handoff, or yeah. I guess just taking the ball away, was that was pretty highbrow stuff. Big galaxy brain things from Caleb Williams. Uh, I'll give him credit for that because if they get stopped there, Kansas has a real chance to win that football game and score a they touchdown do. the way Oklahoma's defense was playing. And you had Kansas uh, announcing that anyone in the area could just come into the game if they wanted. No tickets. They wanted the most amount of people in that stadium to try to get them the, the upset, and then they just fall flat on their face. Yeah, I was thinking that that if you're like a student and you woke up at noon because of a late night out on a Friday and you find out that Kansas is winning 10 nothing at halftime at Oklahoma, <laughs> yeah. you're, and you're like close enough to the stadium, you might as well like buy a ticket. But it sounds like they were just letting anyone in. So yeah. uh, I wonder – Sounds like that maybe was a. Uh, sounds like a good idea, but didn't quite work out for uh, you have to, Kansas. Who you have uh, to win if you're going to do that. You have to pull out the win yeah, if you're just saying, "Come on in." You're also a 38 point underdog, so I'll, I'll give them a pass. Maybe they should have stormed the field just for covering. <laughs> yeah, that that honestly that would have been more justified than what we saw from <laughs> Iowa State. We got Penn State at Ohio State. Opened uh, yesterday, Ohio State minus 15, and they have been bet up to 18.5 against Penn State, and that is understandable based on Penn State's performance in overtime against Illinois, losing that game, and sadly how good Ohio State looked uh, against Indiana. Yeah, we talked about one team as a big favorite that failed to uh, cover the spread, didn't even score enough points to cover the spread because Oklahoma was fair by 38 and they only scored 35. Well, Penn State... Fair by 25. They only score 18 against Illinois, a really bad loss. We see a big upgrade or a downgrade of Penn State, an upgrade of Ohio State. Is Ohio State, in their last three games against Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana, have 16 first-half touchdowns. So I think Ohio State has really kind of distinguished them as the number three team in the country behind Alabama and Georgia, and the gap between those two SEC teams and Ohio State is getting slimmer with the way Ohio State's playing. Ohio State, they had that big loss early in the year to Oregon, but they bounced back nicely. And I think if they want to be able to name the score and make a statement on a national stage against Penn State, a Penn State team that's reeling off back-to-back losses, they'll do so, and their offense is really playing well. Don't think Penn State has the offense to attack some of the weaknesses in Ohio State's defense. So understand the line move. Wonder how high will get, maybe at 20 20 and a half, 21, maybe then there'll be some resistance and Penn State will be a, a bet. But at this point, I, I think I would have trouble backing Penn State off their last two performances. Georgia, Florida in Jacksonville is the final game we wanted to look at today. Circa opened on Sunday. Georgia laying 13 with that total at 46 and a half. Georgia seeing some early money. They're now a two touchdown favorite, a minus 14, and that total has been bet up to 51. People are expecting a little bit more scoring in this game, which is interesting considering that Georgia defense. Yeah, I think the total interests me more. Maybe this is a game we'll talk about Wednesday and kind of look at the point spread. But the last time we saw Florida, they gave up a lot of points to LSU and couldn't stop an LSU offense that we don't think much of. 
And now Georgia has JT Daniels healthy, although Kirby Smart said that he's going to play both him and Stenson Bennett. Bennett has done very well in a game manager and in games against not great competition where they just kind of had to play defense, hand the ball off, and make the simple throws. So I wonder if maybe Georgia tries a little bit more against a Florida defense that probably can be had. And then if there's an offensive mind that probably could figure out Georgia's defense and maybe at least have some success, Dan Mullen, with extra time to prepare, would probably be that coordinator you'd want, even if you don't think of highly of Dan Mullen as a recruiter or maybe just a person in general. I think offensively he might be able to get Florida to at least stay in this game, probably get over the total. And I think that's why we've seen this total tick up from 46.5 all the way to 51 on a Monday morning. Yeah, it's gonna just it's gonna be a fun game. Um, I know it's in Jacksonville, but yeah. Florida, I think, had a lot of people very excited a couple weeks ago, and and they've sure. you know been up and down, and then they started just disappointing everyone. So it makes sense why Georgia got the early money in this one. A little surprised to be honest that they haven't gotten a bit more. That it's only fourteen. Yeah, I think there's just some worries about Florida's or sorry Georgia's offense just being able to cover a big enough number. We know what they can do defensively; they've proven that. But JT Daniels, I know they say he's healthy, but he hasn't really shown anything this season. I know he's definitely been limited with that injury, but I think we want to see it before we people start trusting Georgia to cover big numbers against a Florida team. I like Georgia's definitely the better team, but it's a neutral field, and you put a, a 14 by Georgia's name. It, becomes a lot harder to bet that, especially since the total is still like a below average for a normal college football game. All right, let's do the NFL because uh, we have uh, a couple NFL games we wanted to hit on, Nate. Uh, there's two in the upcoming week eight that have some notable line movements. Uh, that first one, Bengals at the Jets. The Bengals have gone from a three-and-a-half-point favorite all the way to a nine-point favorite. Um, and that is because of a couple things, and we saw Zach Wilson uh, hurt his knee in the game this past weekend, and the NFL's most generic named player, Mike White, took over for him at quarterback. And then the Bengals simply just looked really good against the Ravens. Their defense looked good. Joe Burrow looked on target. That offense looked like it was churning in all cylinders. So it makes sense that they go from just a, a little bit over a field goal favorite to now nine points. Yeah, I, let's start with the Bengals first. Very impressive win by Cincinnati, gaining 8.3 yards per play, only allowing the Ravens to have 5.5 yards per play. I thought the Ravens were going to win this game, and I'll admit I was, I'm was i wrong on Cincinnati from a season-long perspective. I bet them under six and a half wins. Didn't think that Joe Burrow would play this well, especially coming off that injury, don't having not having trust in Zach Taylor, but I've been completely wrong. The Bengals' defense has been very impressive this season, a unit that they've spent a lot of money on the last two off seasons. And now let's go to the Jets side. Mike White, as you mentioned, the most generic name uh, maybe ever in NFL history <laughs> for a quarterback. So who is Mike White? He went to Western Kentucky, fifth round pick in 2018, is, was drafted by the Cowboys, was picked up by the Jets in 2019, has been on the practice squad and waivers and Got his first regular season action yesterday. Actually threw the ball 32 times because Wilson suffered the PCL injury, and I was out two to four weeks. So White actually took over, played about three quarters, got some experience. I mean, the game was out of hand already, so it's hard to yeah. predict that. So I think because Wilson's played pretty poorly this season, it's hard to just, like figure out what the difference is from Wilson to White. But it makes sense to see this five-and-a-half-point difference because of how well the Bengals played. And 
if the Bengals, if, if Wilson was playing and this line was more like six or something, I think this would be a great spot to fade the Bengals off a statement win in the division like that. But now with Mike White starting, probably won't have a bet in this game. I know a lot of people in Survivor might have some tough choices next week if they've already used the Bills and the, the Rams and maybe even the Chiefs. But now the Bengals have emerged as a Survivor option. So that's probably the only way I'll play it, Bengals and Survivor. Um, maybe a value bet on the Jets, especially if it gets up to 10. It got to 10 this morning. Maybe he gets back there. The Jets at home catching double digits against the Bengals could be something, but I don't know. Probably just something to stay away from. I think there'll be uh, a lot better games this weekend to talk about and to bet. If there is a team in the NFL that is going to have a quarterback named Mike White, it was going to be the New York Jets. We just all knew that was going to happen. The Giants at the Chiefs. Chiefs went from minus 13 to minus 10, and that was because Patrick Mahomes, uh, as we saw towards the end of that game this weekend, this past weekend, uh, really got knocked in the head uh, by a defender's knee. They said he cleared concussion protocol. He did not look great coming off uh, the field. He, he definitely looked dazed and confused. So, I mean, who knows if he's going to be okay for this upcoming weekend. Supposedly he should if he cleared concussion protocol. But again, you just don't really know how he's going to feel throughout the week. So it makes sense why the Chiefs has now been bet down to only a 10-point favorite against the Giants, who, Nate, I just, they're the Giants. Like, you don't know how they're going to play week in and week out. You don't know, like, what type of Daniel Jones you're going to get. Usually it's not going to be the great Daniel Jones, but the Giants are one of those teams that, like, can really have a sneaky upset a couple weeks at a time. And, and this line, now that it's moved down to 10, I just don't know. I don't trust the Chiefs. I don't trust the Chiefs at all. I mean, they they haven't shown that they're capable of doing anything in a consistent and good manner offensively or defensively. No, you're definitely right. This line definitely indicates that Mahomes is very likely to play, because if not, if it was Chad Henney, this line, I'd imagine would be closer to like a field goal or something. I think that drop-off might be that big from Mahomes to Henney, especially with just how the Chiefs' offense is playing right now where it's like Mahomes trying to save him. And yesterday, obviously, not a good performance from Kansas City. I bet the Chiefs over 31 team total. So even though there were some good bets this week, like the brunch time winner involving the Giants, as we're talking about a Giants game, that uh, team total over was never close. And if you can't score on the Titans' defense, then I think there's bigger issues and, and bigger things that Kansas City has to worry about. The Giants, maybe they'll get some players back. This is a Monday night game, so an extra day of prepare. I know their offense is super banged up, but they were able to beat the Carolina Panthers 25-3, to getting that brunch time winner home with the first half under in that game, which was a baseball score at 5-3. to And you mentioned that the Giants have play, can play teams closely, especially in the big underdog role. Since Joe Judge has been coach, or head coach of the Giants, They've been a road underdog 10 times or eight and two against the spread. They had a straight up win at the Saints earlier this year. Not saying they're going to get the straight up win in Kansas City, a three and four Kansas City team that really needs this game if they want to stay relevant in the AFC playoff picture with some tough games coming up. But maybe the Giants can cover this number catching double digits. So I understand why this has moved from 13 to 10 based on the results of week seven. Yeah, and honestly, if I'm going to bet on any really long money line team this next weekend, Giants may be in that conversation. I just, there's nothing about the Chiefs that have impressed me this season, and they've given me more of a reason to want to fade them than even consider betting them as a double-digit favorite over any team in this league. For sure. I I think the thing, though, is the Giants' injury report was pretty brutal yesterday, which kind of speaks to how bad the Panthers are, that they 
couldn't score on. I mean, the, it was the Giants offense had, had a bad injury report, but the Giants with Daniel Jones were able to have some success offensively. But like Sterling Shepard was scratched before the game. Kadarius Tony's already out. Kenny Galladay was out. Saquon Barkley was out. Their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, is out. So a lot of injuries for the Giants. Maybe it get, clears up, gets a little bit healthier with an extra day to prepare. Prime time game. So we'll see about that. We'll see where this line goes, and I will preview this game uh, a week from today with that Monday night football game between the Giants and Chiefs. And speaking of Monday night football, Nate, let's take a look at our Monday night football preview for tonight as we have the Saints going to Seattle, playing the Seahawks. Saints laying that four and a half uh, against the Seahawks team that obviously does not have Russell Wilson. They don't have Chris Carson. They're going to be starting Geno Smith. Um, and that four and a half line is, is always unique, right? It's, it's a tough line to want to hit in either direction because of that number. But they, you are looking at the total. Yeah, I think the under makes a lot of sense in this game. And I actually would lean towards the Seahawks. I just don't trust the Saints as a favorite of Jameis Winston at quarterback. And part of the reason why, other than the fact that he's very turnover prone and we're going to have a, a weather report or temperatures and, in uh, Seattle, where it's chilly, there's rain in the forecast, wind in the in the teens in terms of mile per hour. So it could be a little bit of a sloppy game in terms of the offenses, which is a reason I like the under. But also Sean Payton kind of simplifies the offense for Jameis Winston because he's afraid he's going to make that mistake. So the under makes a lot of sense to me. When you have a low total like 42, then the underdog is where I'm always going to look towards. And I think... I wouldn't say there's an overreaction from the drop-off from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith because Russell does so much for the team. But Geno Smith is better than most backup quarterbacks, in my opinion. He's turnover-prone, but he showed enough against the Steelers on the road on a Sunday night in a tough spot where they were able to cover the number and lose in overtime. So if Seattle can get the ground game going, maybe take some pressure off Geno. I know it's tough against the Saints, who have a pretty good rush defense, but... We'll see. I, I I think the under is the way to go at 42. Maybe if there's some, I think uh, it's going to be a slow start, too, if you want to go first half under at 21. Uh, it's kind of a weird game, though, because the Saints are off a bye, and we haven't seen them play in 15 days. I honestly haven't watched many Saints games this season, so kind of interested to see what the Saints are coming off the bye. They have a big game next week against the Bucks, but I don't think it's a look ahead because this is off a, a bye week, so the Saints should be fully focused on this game with so much time to to think about it. But for me, under, first half under, Seahawks are all the ways I would look in this game if you wanted to bet on this game to make it a little more interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm having trouble. I think the under is is always a good play. And you know, I'm always a fan of a good under. It's the number is just so low. They, there's really not a huge margin for error here, especially with a Seahawks defense that, as you mentioned, I mean, they just they have not impressed me. They did not look good, especially last week. I just I, I don't know if if we're gonna get a good Seahawks defense against a really good rushing team in the New Orleans Saints, because they can't pass the ball. They're not a good passing team, but they run the ball, and I think the Seattle defense is ranked in, like, the bottom third of of rushing defense. So that'll maybe help run clock, which will be good for the yeah. under, but, you know, you, you you may just see them get run all over the field. I don't know. It's That's a tough one. I don't know if I can lean the over or bet the over in a game like this where it's bad weather, bad quarterbacks and and at Seattle, but you're always going to get a weird game in Seattle, too, is the weird thing. Seahawks. As as Kevin Clark said from the ringer, they always play in the weirdest games of all time. 
That's true, but it's also, I mean, maybe it carries over in a in a Monday night game like this with Jameis Winston on the other side, but a lot of those weird games that were played very close had Russell Wilson as quarterback, so right. we'll see. As we talk right now, I just saw the total got bet down to 41, so I think the weather is Ooh. being known, and I think with the weather, there's going to be wind, which definitely hurts the uh, potential of points, but if there's rain and it's a sloppy field, there's a better chance of fumbles, could lead to scoop and scores or just short fields in general. So going under now at 41, probably not what I would do um, just because there's a chance for, you know, short possession touchdowns and, and other things like that. And would have been a much better bet when it was 43 or 43 and a half earlier in the week. Now you're kind of late to the party, but if you do want the action, I could only look under and I could only look to the Seahawks side. Yeah. If that gets to, if it's at 41, if that gets to 40 and a half, Nate, I think I have to go over. I think I have to, I think I would hit the over. I think I'm going to be bold, be bold and hit the over with something like that. I'd expect, um, a, I'd expect a slow start. So maybe you can get a better live over. Uh, if, yeah. I could see like uh, if this if, let's just say this if this game was yeah, I wouldn't be in Seattle but if this game was at 1 p.m. Eastern on a Sunday this would definitely be the brunch time winner. Okay, I you under, know what I like under first more. half under first quarter something like that so maybe the over can be uh, a valuable bet in later in the game and maybe you can try to middle it if you do go full game under before the game. I like that a lot actually. I think the uh I, I think live betting the over once it gets down if you know we see three points in the first quarter it gets down to 38, 38 and a half, then yeah. you can maybe hit the over. These teams maybe settle in. Especially with Geno Smith playing in a in a primetime game and starting on Monday night football might take him a little while to settle in if he even does settle in. So that might be I the just, move. I just realized this is going to be the third straight primetime game for Seattle because Wilson got yeah. hurt that Thursday night game. They played last Sunday in Pittsburgh, and now they have a Monday night game, and then this coming week they host the Jaguars in a, a game where the point spread might be a little bit closer than you would have expected, but Russell Wilson will not be back for that game. So we'll see how it's Seattle does, and then I'm sure on Wednesday we'll have a bit of an update on the lines with the game involving Seattle when they host the Jaguars and then the Saints having a big game hosting the Buccaneers. So we'll have to see what that line is as on Monday morning before Monday night football, the Buccaneers are a four and a half point favorite at the Saints. So we'll have to see what happens to that spread after uh, tonight's game in Seattle. Uh, and before we go, Nate, I wanted to give out one NBA play, not an NBA best bet. Um, and the only reason it's not my best bet is because these two teams just played each other on Saturday night. And that is the Timberwolves. And the Pelicans, the Timberwolves are minus five and a half um, at home against the Pelicans. They did not cover seven and a half on Saturday. They still won. Um, and that gives me a little pause because I never really like to bet a team to win again when they play the same team back to back, usually in the NBA, just any professional league. The teams are too good to really lose twice in a row. But I, I really like the Timberwolves and I really don't like the Pelicans. I just there's nothing from the Pelicans that gives me any hope they can cover a spread or, or win games like this. They just don't have the defensive firepower. They don't really have the offensive ability to stay consistently good offensively. And I think the Timberwolves are undervalued in the market, Nate. And I think the fact that it didn't cover on Saturday night helps them get a better number tonight at five and a half. Um, I think they can cover. So if you're looking for an NBA bet, maybe look at the Timberwolves minus five and a half. I would not bet at anything over six. Um, if it gets to six, that's where I would say, all right, that's fine. Six and a half. Don't hit it any higher than uh, 
than six, but I do like the Timberwolves. I think they've got, they've got something special going on. They look like they're playing well with each other. The chemistry is going. They've got the young Anthony Edwards and, and a solid player in Carl Anthony Towns to, to kind of anchor that team. So get them while they're undervalued in the market for the next couple games, maybe a week or two until people start realizing that they're being undervalued. So this may be a good spot to hit the Timberwolves. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about the Timberwolves before the season in terms of the first year with the coach having his full year and that now that they're healthy, they're actually pretty talented. So, as you said, it might not last too much longer, but there's maybe a spot where you still can get some value on them before they start getting properly respected. That'll do it for us today. We'll be back Wednesday looking at some of these Saturday games and Sunday games more in depth and uh Making some NBA picks, too. I got that Best Bet article coming out Wednesday, so might as well give some NBA bets on Wednesday for that one. But until then, good luck to everyone for Monday Night Football. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. 